Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Yasser and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A-licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. So let's just get straight into it, G. Going to start with the introductions? Yeah, just a quick intro. Obviously, Gerard Jones. Uh, I'm currently working as a director of coaching with Sporting Kansas City. Coach developer. Worked across different formats and ages and stages of the game, both in the grassroots and professional game. And um, obviously studying PhD, among everything else. Really enjoying, you know, these conversations, really. Just deep diving into stuff and sharing ideas, picking people's brains. So, you know, really looking forward to the conversation tonight. Most definitely, man, most definitely. And for those um, first time, if you've been here before, great. For those that have come for the first time, my name's Yas. Similar to Gerard, working across a range of different different environments, experience doing coach development as well. Um, founder of the Coaches Network podcast and... Yeah, let's. Well, I think that's pretty much it, G. I don't want to don't want to bore people with our intros, but let's get straight into the heart of the topic, man. Coaching versus facilitating. What's your understanding? Yeah, it's an interesting question because there'll be certain, you know, semantics plays a huge part in all these discussions. I think, and you know, there'll be people that would potentially ask the question, "What's the difference between coaching and facilitating?" You know, I think that'd be one of my first questions, and I guess that would probably lead to you know what your philosophy is as well you know i'm a big believer in the 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 quality of questions normally represents the quality of values you know so me asking that you know what's the difference between coaching and facilitating probably indicates that you know the way in which i'll coach or at least believe in coaching is probably more inclusive involving players setting challenges, learning, etc. So it'd be interesting where you're going with the question because it could be that I'm assuming is coaching, you know, directive. So directive versus facilitating, if, if that's where you're going with it. And um, I guess there's 
there's a counter argument that there's probably a place for everything. Although you certainly want to develop environments where players can learn and make their own decisions, solve problems. In order to do that, you know, there is a place where sometimes you might need to be a bit more direct and provide an answer. And it's uh, it's just understanding the needs of the people in front of you. Definitely, I think you make a great point there in terms of semantics and understanding of the, the terminology behind it. I think facilitating in one way, you're, you're totally right, around facilitation of learning. Um, where I'm coming at it from also specifically is around the facilitation of practice as opposed to coaching in terms of actually uh, supporting with relevant and don't want to call it corrective, but relevant and guided observations around what's happening in front of you, reflections, ways in which players can develop their practice, whether that be around further developing their strengths or just looking at general areas for development as a whole. So I think from that perspective, looking at it as, right, are we actually coaching or are we just putting on a session, if you like? Yeah, and there's a, that's a huge point in itself because, you know, one question I said recently is, you know, how much of the session are we making an impact and how much of the session are we just filling space, you know, just time? Because ultimately that's a, that's a huge one, isn't it? Yes, I, I agree with you. Um, how much are we having an impact and how do you even measure that? Uh, I mean, these are all good points, really. I think everything we do, we've got to think about like what's the relevance of the people in front of us? How, how are we making what we're doing really relevant and probably digestible? Because often we, you know, we're we're coaching and we're we're creating these activities or challenges or whatever, even during games. But how much of it is really resonating with the players? You know, we're assuming learning's taking place, but is it? Is the message understood? You know, that's probably another question within that, isn't it? Like, how much is it digestible, and is it what they need versus what we want? No, I think you're spot on as well. I think the key question is uh, you know, how, how how much time we spend in the beginning of that process, really assessing where they're at and what they currently know, rather than assuming. I'll give an example. Of, like, you know, I had a coach yesterday I was working with, gave players some instructions and, in my opinion, didn't check any understanding. And the question I had was, well, how, how do you know she understood what you want? He goes, I, he goes, I don't. I just assumed. Okay, brilliant. So what are you going to do about it? And it's just right. That, that, that's the that's the piece. You know, just because you think you said something, and you know, with all your best efforts in the world, you might have said it in the best way possible, and you might have not had an, a single error in the way you've explained it. Some people just won't comprehend it the way that you want them to. So you need to go that extra step further and make sure you are challenging and checking perception and understanding around whatever's been shared. So looking at that, then I'm conscious because obviously you you've worked in a few different countries. Um, even continents, Gerard, what does that look like as a general standpoint across the board for you in terms of, do you see a lot more facilitating and coaching going on? Do you see any similarities or any consistencies around where the coaching takes place in, as opposed to where the facilitating takes place? Because I think one of the, the other misconceptions sometimes as well is that for coaches who maybe haven't progressed as far as their, you know, progressed their journeys as far as where they maybe want to up the ladder, if you like, 
they assume that coaches in the quote-unquote elite world of um, player development are actually coaching and that facilitation doesn't take place there. What are your observations? Yeah, there's loads of good questions in there, actually. Really, really good deep. And, and, and again, it might be semantics, but one thing we could probably argue with against is that, you know, just because the environment is facilitating, whether the coach might not actually be drilling into the players or he might not be, you know, he might just be creating a, 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 an activity or an environment where they're self-discovering. Does it, we can't necessarily assume that that means coaching isn't taking place because it could be, you know. So it it all comes back to what does what do we think good coaching looks like? What the what does the director of football think good coaching looks like? You know, what does the parent think and all that? But to your uh, first question, I think I've seen it change. I've definitely seen a huge paradigm shift from one in which we talked about this even recently, didn't we? With with Tony, like if you go back 10, 15 years ago, and even when I was sort of coming through the coach education courses that me and you had done, you know, in summary, you could probably argue it was very much stop, stand still and tell the player and demonstrate your knowledge. And I always remember one educator um, saying to me around the lines of like, he's going to do a, an instructor session, but this isn't how they want us to deliver. And it's funny because, you know, years later, being a, a coach educator, myself developer, and I'm doing courses. I remember Osh, one of the guys wanted to do that on the A license, and Oshan said to him, "Well, why would you do that? That's negative teaching. Why would you say, you know, I'm going to do a session, but I don't want you to work like this in your clubs? You wouldn't normally do, but for the purpose of coach ed, we're going to show you how to do. It. You know, in other words, they're going to stop it lots. They're going to." give loads of information, stop it too much, talk too long. But by the way, do as I say, not as I do. You know, it's 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 con- contradictive in terms. And I think it's funny because that that's how it was. Obviously, the youth awards and the advanced youth awards. And if you look in Oceania, I've worked in New Zealand. I think the OFC have done um, an incredible job, even like New Zealand and uh, New Zealand FA. Australian Football Federation, you know, they're they're very, very good uh, creating quite inclusive environments, facilitating guided discovery, a lot of um, links with the theory around constraints-led approach and things like that and play practice. You know, they talk about game intervention game. You've got play practice play in the United States. And, you know, obviously even now with what me and you will be teaching on the UEFA C, you know, whole part whole, it's not new. None of it is revolutionary. You know, it's not new techniques. These are things that will have been going on back in the day. But I think there's probably more awareness now around some of these things. And I think some of the environments that I'm seeing, it's probably more player-centred than it has been in previous years. Whereas I think, you know, and, and then obviously if you go to like Morocco, I saw very hierarchical, very... The, the, the culture is very much like the coach is a, it's a coach-centered environment. Um, things could be, even though they might not always be aggressive, it can be perceived as being aggressive. The players don't always respond that way. So you've got to be careful we don't impose our sort of Western views on things because, you know, I could be watching, I'm going off on one, but I remember being like in a coffee shop and you might think, blooming hey, look at those two over there. You think they're having an argument. But it's, they're not. <laughs> it's just how they talk. 
and it's very animated and the expressions and things like that. And you think they're having a right good Barney over there and it's getting hostile, but it's not. And sometimes it was like that with the players. You know, they would like growl and, you know, be quite, I use that word, hostile or whatever to certain players. But that was an expectation. Um, and the players never necessarily always responded bad to it. So then it begs the question of are they being hostile or not? So there's always that cultural piece. I'd say in summary, it was very much talk at, uh, tell them the answer, very much coach-centred, uh, follow me. And then I'd say it's still a little bit like that even in the US, but it's changing. Um, it's going to take time because it's obviously on a bigger scale. But the the culture is trying to go more towards creating an environment where players can self discover. So a lot of that is facilitating, like how you become a very good facilitator of learning. So yes, you're putting them in games, but that doesn't mean that you know it's let them play and they'll figure it out. Um, even though that's a part of it, I think there is this danger where we've gone from one extreme to the next. I see this a lot in academy football where. Um, interested to get your views on this and some of the other guys listening, where it's almost we're putting them in these games, but then there's no coaching or no guidance from the sideline. Um, and I think, you know, equally both extremes of that dualism are quite bad, you know, because you don't want to be too much where they're constantly looking to you for the answer. But equally, you don't want to be on the other end where you're just like, there's a ball, crack on. Because equally, too much exploration could be bad because they don't know what they're looking for. And there will be times where they need that help. So I think it's creating these environments where if it's facilitating, how do we facilitate? What are some of our guided questions? Do we plan our guided questions beforehand? What's the vocabulary we're using? How are we co-designing problems? How are we involving the players in that? And I'm seeing a change towards that now. Certainly going on in the US, I know it's quite popular in the UK and and some of the other continents I've worked in where it's becoming more facilitated and guiding. But it's a skill, isn't it? It requires a lot of skill set from the coach to be able to know when to ask a good question, when not to, when to probe, when not to, um, when to be a bit more directive and when not to. It's it's difficult. Uh, I know what your thoughts are on all that, Yaz. I think there's so much in there. And I thought, you know, the first thing that really came up for me is just around the semantics piece. Again, I think for me, when I'm talking about facilitating, I think what I'm more specifically referring to is the idea that coaches, well, said coaches are putting on a session. And like you said, you know, there isn't any of that, that skillful, you know, an articulate question and answer piece. There isn't any of that, you know, guided discovery piece. And then there isn't really any information going into the players. More specifically, what it is, is a commentary of what's happening, a praise with no clarity or understanding. See, or, or it's, it's... So you're not seeing facilitating as like guiding, you're seeing facilitating as like they're just running it, but there's commentary. That's exactly, yes. Yeah, so facilitating, guiding it. I think, yeah, I'm all for that. But I think that, that again, for me, that that's a very skillful approach and a very, you know, you've got to be highly skilled and do that, like you said knowing not just when to ask the questions, but what type of questions to ask. Um, whether, you know, the amount of times I've seen coaches ask a question and in attempts to facilitate that learning, but really what's happening is they're really guiding the guiding the conversation, which 
I get to an extent, it's, it's okay. And I, I think one of the things I've, I've tried really hard to work on within my own coach is actually how do I ask those questions that get the players really thinking? How do I ask those questions which provide absolute clarity for the players in, in understanding what I'm talking about, gauge their perceptions, check their understanding, really allow, you know, give me the information I need so I can actually facilitate that learning and not be a facilitator of a practice, facilitator of a session, but actually like you referred to and distinguished that facilitation of learning. It's interesting. It might be that, and maybe it's the the purpose of the question that's been posed to us in that because of how we're going with it, you know, we could potentially reword some of the wording perhaps. Um, Cause I find it fascinating because it, it'd be interesting to get other people's views on it, but is it a negative um, I mean, in the context in which you're providing, it can be. But then equally, there can be a lot of learning that still takes place, even though someone's, um, even you know, by your definition, if they're just running it, some players will, whether it's by accident or by design, probably sounds more by accident, still things can be solved, can't they? Um, players can solve well, things. I'm... Obviously, it's, it's l- less skillful, but it could happen. It, it could happen, but the, the question I then I then throw at coaches who are in those positions is, how do you know it's happening if you're not even bothering to check the understanding? Never mind the fact that you haven't given the information. Never mind the fact that you haven't done the quote-unquote coaching piece, which I'm referring to specifically. But how do you know whether that learning's actually taken place if you're not asking the right questions, if you're not checking the understanding, if you're not clarifying their perception, if that makes sense? Yeah, and obviously observation's a huge part, isn't it, as well? But then, I mean, it's performance and learning, even though they can go hand in hand, can be very different as well. Like, yes, you can learn whilst performing, but performance can often be, like, you might demonstrate a performance immediate. So short-term, Tony asked me a question or you asked me a question, give me some feedback, I can implement it. Does that mean learning's taken place? Or it might, or does it mean that short term I've been able to rehearse something and demonstrate to you like it's like copy and paste? But do I know when and how that applies? It's a different one, doesn't it? Like, can I actually recognize information and be able to apply that within a game context? And that to me is when you start getting towards the higher level learning skills of analyzing and synthesizing, evaluating and it's the call of your questions, but I mean, I'll throw one question back to you, Yaz. Is what what is coaching to you then? So going away, trying to sort of clarify is like, what does good coaching look like for you? I I, I don't necessarily think it's a case of just good coaching, but I think it, I think for me, um, coaching as a whole is 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 the intent to provide information which is going to have an impact or, or challenge the perception of a player. But following that up with with a with a process of clarification, um, checking understanding. So I think you know you mentioned it just now a second ago about the idea of having a player who's responded to an action or responded to an instruction or a question and been able to implement it straight away. That's one step to it, but can they then can they then rationalise as you know, as to why they've had to do, why they've had to do it, or can they have a can they share an understanding of their their knowledge as to why you wanted them to do it or what impacts on that. You know, so it kind of links into some of the stuff that we discussed last week around the feedback piece is how much information are the players retaining 
and that you know you you use the terms today around knowledge of performance and knowledge of learning and, and, and looking at looking at difference around that in that for me performance is great but if you don't know what you did and you don't know what you didn't do how are you able to recreate or avoid it in the future if that makes sense i'll give you an example of that yesterday you know we had a player i went to watch a coach uh, deliver a match day yesterday one of the players um the attacking midfielder was coming towards them and then they they held their they held their position as a center forward now when asked the question you know why did you do that they had no recollection of what we was even referring to so it's sometimes you know just a really high, and I share that to, and I say that to highlight the point of sometimes as coaches we can observe something that a player's done but actually they don't even know they've done it it's just happened so I get the whole idea of facilitating learning, facilitating a practice and learning can take place by accident, but we will never know unless we go go at least to take the first step of checking the understanding, perception and the recollection of what's actually happened as an as an as an example. I don't know what you, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I, I get it. I think as well there's probably not being devil's advocate, but the other side of the coin is it's probably important to Nate mention that there will be kids or even adults who can't articulate what it is. So we might try and check for understanding, but they might not necessarily be able to articulate why they do what they do or, or what actually the reason is why. But they can show you, you know, an example, which is fine because if they can, I'd rather they be able to show me than, than yeah, tell what, me. Because if what I'm, I'm really going to Ferdinand, he could show me how to press, how to do this, how to do that. He might not necessarily be able to articulate the details that I'm yeah. looking for, but the fact that yeah. he can recognise the triggers and know when to press, when not to, or whatever, well, that's okay. Yeah. What would you rather have? A player that what? plays bingo with you and says the right answers, or a player that can do it no, in the game? I think, I think what I'm referring to more specifically is, is the player can have the answer to play and I might not be able to articulate themselves. I'm fully bored with that, but if we're assuming that the player actually knew what happened, then we could be missing a trick. Because if they're not even conscious of the, of the moment even taking place, how are they going to reflect on it? If that makes sense. So as they're going through the process of maybe making a pass or making a particular run, and they've just, they've just done it. They haven't really thought about it. Um, it's just happened. They, you know, they haven't... They, 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 it's one of them ones where they said, oh, quote-unquote, it was just instinctive. Okay, now you and I both know it's not as simple as that. They must have responded to something, whether it was subconscious or conscious. However, if they've not even, if they can't even recall the moment it happened, let alone the reasons behind it. Can we? Can can they reflect on it? Well, it's it'd be interesting to get other people's thoughts on all this. But yeah, like if you can't, but how often? We're hitting some interesting points here because I was going to say, how often does this happen in a session where players, you know, even immediately you might have tried to give them feedback immediately after or you've asked them a question but they can't remember, you know, because there's been times where I've asked the question, all right, close your eyes and tell me what did you see, you know, to try and get that deep. But sometimes players can't remember or they might say, so it's hard. So you might have to find other ways to anchor the information. Um uh, 
and then obviously reflection for me is a deep thing anyway. I mean, there's a, I know I've heard you use this phrase, you know, like hot debriefs. There's hot debriefs and then there's, there's reflection. I mean, reflection is deep, isn't it? It's a deep learning. It takes time, you know, active. Just a quick question answer. Does that necessarily, you know, lead to reflection or self-reflection? Cause it's straight away. You know, you, there's like, there's, ref- yeah. What the, the thing I guess where I'm going with it is there's learning in and there's learning of. And we've got to be careful that we're not, because learning of stuff can be important, but ultimately you've got to be developing the skills to learn in an environment. And it's no different to reflection on and reflection in action. Because, I, you know, like when I talk about my coaches, I always want my coaches to be really good reflection in action. Because anyone can reflect after. Yeah, I should have done this, I should have done that. Oh, yeah, the ball could have gone there. Oh, I could have made that substitution or whatever. That's reflection on action. You know, we can all watch the video back and we should be able to pick up the stuff. But how good are you at live, like reflection in action and being able to, you know, adapt quickly? Because that's a skill in the art, isn't it? Is that adaption? Adaptation, I, I think it's spot on. No, no, I think you're spot on, but I think you know that, that that's the piece I'm talking about. There is that it's you're right. They're not going to remember everything. Sometimes you know I've even tried that piece around. Close your eyes. Tell me what you saw. Tell me what you you know. Tell me what impact. But if they can't even remember the moment, even when you bring it back to them, unless what unless they've got a conscious conscious moment in their heads that this is what's happened through your coaching, through your guidance, through your support, through your Q and A, establishing that this was the situation. I'm I'm struggling to see how they've even got any content to reflect on, if that makes sense. And you're right, reflection is a deep pro, a deep process, but even a little recognition or understanding of this is the situation that did take place, and these are some of the considerations that could have could have come into play within that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, I'm curious as always. Like we're good. We we've got we're covering a lot of topics. You know, what does what does everyone else? I can see Tony's. You know. Ready to speak? It'd be great, Tony. If there's any thoughts you've got to share, or anyone else in the room? Yeah. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, great points, as usual. Lots and lots to think about. Um, while we're on the topic of thought and and reflection, I guess to some uh, to some extent, I think we've got to separate out a little bit what what we as coaches know and would like to to see back from the players and actually what the players want. Because if we're truly player-centred, Gerard's made some great points about the player might not recognise, might not know how he did things. I mentioned this uh, last week when we talked about feedback, um, but they'll do it. Um, and when you, you know, it, let's say they do make what you perceive to be a mistake, um, if you don't stop it right there and then or pull that player out of the practice right there and then, there's even 10 seconds later, there's a good chance that they haven't got a clue why they did what they did or what the other options were because the game is live going on around them, the practice session is going on live around them and they're processing so much information. They're just playing. They just want to play in the game. Um, So... That's. I think that 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 very sort of notion is is why 
I don't like to think of myself as a facilitator. I like to facilitate learning and I, and I try and be as deliberate as I can in making sure that that happens. But actually, I'm still much more of a, a, a coach who, if I see something break down, I want to go in right there and then and find out if they, why are you in that position? Why did you make that choice? Because I know for a fact in 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, when I get a chance to stop the play, they can't even, they're not going to be able to remember that. They don't know that you were going to stop it at that point. So even 20 seconds later, they might have had to process 200 different pieces of information. And they just, for me, they can't take it back. Carrying on the coaching versus facilitating thing, just I'll, I'll be Sorry, Tony, can I just pause for one second? I think you made a fantastic point, and I, I feel like your next point is going to be just as good, but it's going to veer off in a slightly different direction. The question that's come to my head as you're speaking there is, has the art of the stop-stand-still been lost? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, and, and whatever we teach, coach, facilitate, whatever you want to call it within the game, a lot of it boils down to, to that. Um, the way that the coaching, coach education has moved on, I'm happy with that. I've moved on with it, I'd like to think. Um, you know, I'm still involved at a decent level at, after 20 years and, and I haven't lost my love for it. Um, but at the same time, whatever happens in a game, uh, and again, whether this is controversial, whether it's off topic, you can pull me back goes down to whether coaches can recognise uh, how to um, objectively see the mistake as it occurs and then go in and, and correct it. Because if you don't do that, if you can't break down technique, a lot of moves break down, not because of bad decisions, be because of poor technique. And again, coach education's moved on, but we don't actually teach technique anymore. At the very, very basic level... No one talks about where the non-kicking foot goes, where we strike the ball to get X or Y effect. And yet, that's, that's the nub of, of, of coaching. If you can't recognise that and you can't correct that, then you can't coach, effectively, in my opinion. Tony? I'm so glad. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply glad that you said that because I think that's where when this question first came up or this topic first came up for me that's exactly where I was headed you cannot coach unless you understand the game 
unless you understand the technical detail. No one's saying that you need to know it as, you know, to its nth degree to start on this process. But in my opinion, and this is the question that I want coaches to consider, anyone listening to this, is how well do you know the detail? If a player actually made a mistake or made a poor a poor pass or a poor fit or poor attempt to uh, to finish could you as a coach look back at that process that they've taken on and recognize where when how to correct that error now it's not to say there is a one size fits all approach to how that might look but there are some things in you know you talked about it there, but Tony, about the, the way the generation of coach education has changed, and I think it's for the better overall. However, I do think a massive part that is, um, and I don't even think this has got down to do anything to do with coach education as a whole. I think it's just coaches who have come through this, come through in the in the more recent years. They do not have an appreciation for just how important the technical detail is, let alone before they get to the tactical part. So, I guess my question to to everyone here, Gerard, Tony, and anyone else listening to this, if you've got any opinions on it, is what are the steps that you can take now or you are currently taking now to develop your understanding and knowledge of the game to the point where you can actually become a coach and not just a facilitator of practice combining it with commentary? Yeah, I think it's really important that what, when, where, who, why, that those few things there, they are coaching. And if you don't recognise any one of them, then you'll not effectively be able to make your interventions, which will make your players uh, improve, make your team improve. There's, there's become, in my opinion, an overemphasis on data, there's become an overemphasis on um, on tactics, but without technique, tactics are nothing. Gerard, question for you then. Looking yeah, I've got a quick comment, which I think would be good. Yeah, go for it. Even just in the next one would be. It's probably a topic that we should d- dive into. Probably not tonight because we won't have enough time to do it justice. But what is technique and what is skill? What is action? What is decision making? Um, because I do agree that a lot of the time things will break down because of, I mean, you look at individual errors and things like that. Um, but ultimately, technique in isolation is that useful? You know, because I can have this ideal methodology of a correct ideal form of how to put my foot here and strike the ball here and this, that and the other. But obviously we all are different, you know, Tony's body shape is different to mine and things like that. Like foot size is different. Everything's different. So, and if I strike the ball slightly different and perhaps even unconventional to Tony, but I still get accuracy, weight, timing, right. Who's to say that that's wrong? You know, it's a topic for another day, but I just thought I'd throw it out there because I do I do agree with some of the points, but I also think that there's a, probably a bigger debate that would be another one that we should do on Twitter space. 
around what we determine because obviously we can coach technique or you could have coaches who you know coach techniques and technical actions or player actions but the reality and even like back in the day we used to call it the key factors didn't we but then the 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 danger with that is that we can get standing foot put here angle of approach uh, this type of the foot but the way in which I'll strike it will be different and if I'm unorthodox but I can still get a the same outcome, if not better, who's to say my technique is wrong and that I should conform to the the textbook way of doing it, you know, the textbook way of diving, the textbook way of saving a ball, the textbook's way of striking a ball. I still have that book. I'm sure you do, Tony, that Charles Hughes FA book. It was, uh, my dad's brother gave it to me years ago, back in the 90s. I still have that book. There's a lot of really good detail in there. But the reality sure, is that how do you coach that? And that's the thing for me is how do you coach that in the context of the game? And like, yeah, as you asked that question, for me as a coach, I'm trying to just watch the game as much as possible because the more I'm seeing the game, whether it's Liverpool yesterday or whoever, I'm trying to design my practices around what some of the problems that I see in the game to try and improve me as a coach. That's how I'm doing it. Just just on that then, you know, there's two things, two key things. So, I think you're spot on. What is technique? And I think one thing that, you know, that I've kind of um, come to in my journey, especially over the last couple of years, is looking at it as, well, what's subjective, what's subjective detail? So as an example, if I'm going to strike the ball through the back of the ball, it's only going to go in one direction. It ain't going to come back on me. It's going to go forward. That's subjective. Now, how I strike the ball becomes subjective. So that's where the individual difference piece comes in, which you've talked about, you know, different different you know size and different um heights and whatever else may be impacting on those technical variables there is something that's going to be objective within it though and i think as a benefit i mean like tony come like tony said about the where the when the why the how piece um that i referred to earlier if you don't have an understanding of what that could be and it's not to say that necessarily has to be a right and wrong piece but if you don't even take into consideration what those things to be then I struggled to see how you can even begin to start that coaching process. And that was that was the point around that one. Um, you're going to have to remind me what your second point there was, Gerard. Sorry, I think Tony's got his hand up. It's probably useful with the debate. This is what we want. Probably just to go back to Tony real quick. Yeah. Um, the point that you've made about you know, each individual being different, different angle of approach, different size foot. The bottom line for me is if you wanted to play, if you want to play a lofted pass, you can't strike the ball on the equator or above the equator. So some things within that um, within that technical framework, within those key factors, don't change. You know the, the example that I always used to use on coaching courses, um, I would talk about finishing. Player puts the ball over the bar. Why did he go over the bar? He leant back. So I used to deliberately show them the Johnny Wilkinson technique for kicking with my head right over the ball. But by striking the bottom of the ball, I consistently put the ball over the bar. So in in some ways, it goes back to Gerard's point earlier on about that negative coaching. I always try to say to people, don't show them what not to do. Show them what to do. But... That particular example, for me, spoke volumes at the time. 100%.
<coughs> Sorry, just something got in my throat. One hundred percent, completely agree. So, yeah, I mean, Tony. You know, sorry, guys. Just what I'll do at the end of this is, I'll. Some people already have it. I will share the the old level two key factors sheet, which myself and a colleague who was academy um, boss down at Bournemouth, um, and, and the guy who really got me into coaching and coach education, a guy called Joe Roach. So we put together this document that we used to give out on the army and combined services courses. One, because the course was longer, we were able to go into a lot more detail with it. But two, because they are, for me, they're the non-negotiables of, of technique. And going back to Gerard's point about difference, I coached somebody else's under-13s group yesterday. Now, when I see them do a warm-up or some SAQ, all the, they, they pull out a ladder, they'll put out some hurdles, they'll be evenly spaced. One of the kids in that group is about four foot eight. One of the kids in that group is about five foot 11. So they don't make any, we don't always differentiate. So just, again, something to ponder on. I think that's a brilliant point, Tony. It's a very, very, very good point because I think ultimately it's just really asking coaches the questions of when do we need to differentiate? When can we just keep things the same? And who's to say what's right or wrong? But I will link it back to what you said a few moments ago is if you want to hit that lofted pass, it ain't going to happen if you hit the top of the ball. You've got to hit a certain part of the ball to make that happen. And it's not it's not dependent on what part of the foot you use. Now, what part of the foot you use might have an impact on how it ends up becoming, how effective it ends up being. But the thing that's guaranteed is you have to hit the bottom part of the ball. <laughs> and that's a fact. So I think it's, it's probably there where I would encourage coaches to start exploring around their technical detail and some of, this co some of the challenges they have in terms of how to get those, get those bits of information across. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing because the number of coaches who I have these conversations with and they're like, yeah, but I know that. Okay, well, if you know that, then why don't you coach it? Oh, because I just thought people would understand it. Well, prove it. <laughs> coach it and see what happens. See whether you really do know it and see whether you, when the player gets it wrong, you know why they got it wrong or you've got an idea of why they got it wrong because that's when you can start doing the coaching piece. And I, you know, I think there's some, there's some fantastic points that have come up in this conversation already. Gerard, I don't know if you've got anything you want to add there or if anyone's got any other questions or insights around their experiences around actually being able to coach the technical detail or challenges even around developing their understanding of what the technical detail looks like. No, the only piece I'd add is that I think, and it's, a, it's one that we should probably do on a Twitter space, is how would you develop that? And we could even pose that to Tony and others. How would you develop these qualities if you like i know he's going to share a resource which is even better that's awesome because this is what we want because there is that danger that coaches could go out and go back to default so you know i want to work with michael i want to get his technique better at striking the ball and i design these practices where then i'm drilling the hell out of him and i'm working on it in isolation of the game and then it's it comes back to that debate of you know how do you develop that within a within a game-based approach, how do you develop that within a unopposed environment with with interference? How do you develop that in whatever? I mean, we were doing individual... I've been, we've been working with... So we've got players who still need to work on some of their striking variations. And 
I've been giving them challenges, but using like certain analogies or using certain things, just structuring the sentence in a certain way that's allowed them to look for targets. So I've talked about like, like thinking about the destination, where are your eyes looking in order for you to get the ball? And I've, yeah, I've talked about whether you're striking underneath the ball or if you're putting the ball here, or if you're using this part of the foot. I've maybe touched the foot and said, look, you might be want to use maybe this part of the foot, try and go through here. Find different ways that you can get it over that um, over that fullback's head or whatever it may be, and they've actually been able to recognise those triggers. Like we've showed them visually, and they've been able to do it uh, in the game, whether it's hitting certain uh, diagonal balls or whatever it may be. But then we've also done individual one-to-one training, and I've had goals, and I've literally dragged the goals out. So it's an unopposed practice. But I've dragged these metal goals out, the mini goals and the big nine-a-side goals and the seven-a-side goals, and I've used that as an obstacle where he's receiving, somebody else is working on the quality of their pass, it comes into him, he works on the quality of his first touch, then he's looking at his striking, but he's got to get it over that goal without hitting the goal and get it into the other goal. And little things like that, we've used that as a as a variation. Um I think there's ways. It's the guess. My last piece is like, where do you go with it? Because there might be some that coach in a certain way, but then does that take us back ten or fifteen years? Does it take us forward? Because one big question. All of this is relevant, but you know we've got to make sure that we're not preparing players for the game of yesterday. Even though there's a lot of good lessons from yesterday, hopefully we've got to prepare them to be better than what we were. And, and better players for in the future. We don't want them to be as good as, if not worse, than the generation of players that we were or, or before us. How can we continue to evolve the level? And I think that's where we're going with it, is then what does that require us to do in our training environment? Or anyone else. I think the first thing it requires us to do is burn on opposed practice. But I think um, no. <laughs> I think no, there's some great points. I think is you know definitely some more things that have come out from this. I think really um, for me, you know, if you go back to the topic itself, you're looking at coaching versus facilitation. Now, facilitation, in my opinion, is the idea of a coach saying to. Well, okay, I'll tell you what coaching isn't. Coaching isn't telling a player, oh, that's just missed a shot. Unlucky. Or coaching isn't telling a player, oh, you should have done this instead. Coaching for me is about supporting the player and developing their understanding of what's happened, how it may, how it's happened, why it may have happened and what they could do potentially differently. And it's not necessarily given them the answer. So, you know, you made, you made an interesting point there about we're preparing players for the future game and not the game of yesterday. But one thing's for certain, although there's been subtle differences around the game, the game hasn't changed that much. The needs, the demands of the players, if anything, haven't changed, in my opinion, massively technically. It's probably more physically demanding than, than ever. But technically, you know, there's only so many techniques that do exist in the game. And some of the objective variables within that are never going to change, such as you know Tony's example of hitting a lofted pass or um, whatever else, whatever other example you're going to use. There's different ways that you're going to be able to do things, of course, 
But I think coaching has been able to identify what methods are being used, what methods are having what impact, and when players are not using certain methods, how they could potentially go around addressing the you know the inability to perform an action or whatever else that may be, just to get back on track with it by making sure they're reinforcing the objective variables and maybe having a guided discussion around these subjective variables in some cases, but also recognising when there's times where the player just needs to be reminded directly of what to do, which might be in a match situation, depending on the level of competition and the level of challenge that's needed for that player. Go for it, G. No, it's it's just interesting because it's... And I don't necessarily agree, disagree or whatever. The, the One of the things I was going to say was just two quick points. So the unlucky thing is a big pet hay of mine. I hate it. I know you do too. I was even hearing one of our senior staff using it the other day and it was hard because I'm telling coaches why and they're going there, the, the big big guy doing it. It's like bloody hell. But to me, if you're saying you, the word unlucky, that's a missed coaching opportunity. Because it's not unlucky. Unlucky is, someone said to me years ago, and I think it's a great shout, unlucky is like a bird or a falcon coming out of nowhere. It's about to cross the line, it hits the bird and bounces out. That's unlucky. Or an earthquake or something like that, you know. And it doesn't cross the line. That's unlucky, you know. But, or like, uh, I still remember that goal. I'm an old Middlesbrough fan, you know, and the keeper's gone to save it. No, wasn't it? Was, was the one with Sunderland and Liverpool, was it? Well, it's hit like a like a dirt or something hit, or hit whatever. Hit the balloon and that. That's unlucky because that's unfortunate. That's like you don't yeah. you know what I mean? But you can't plan for that. Yeah, well it's it's just random, isn't it? But it's the it's not it's if you're saying the word unlucky to me, we've got to rephrase that. One, do you have to say anything? That's another debate. If you feel the need you have to say something, could it be good try? But then you're likely to finish off that sentence because what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're encouraging the effort. If they've blazed it over the bar, that's not unlucky. That's poor technique. Going to Tony's point, that's poor technique. So it's not unlucky. That's a coaching opportunity where you've got to give them some feedback, just trying to link it back to what we were talking about before. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, what was the point you were talking about before? There was unlucky, and then there was another one. Sorry? The banning of unopposed practice. No, something else after that. I had it written down. I forgot what it was. Uh, the te- oh, the, the understanding the detail, recognising that um, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, essentially, but, you know... Oh, that was it. Was- it. So, <laughs> the thing with this, though, is, right, look at... I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm being a bit cheeky. But look at Ozil... When he was playing, I always remember that weird pass. So if you were talking like technique and how to chip a ball and create a bit of backspin, like I'm talking a, a lower mid height type of chip, mid to high, not not it's not a lofted pass by any means or anything like that. Just a little chip over a unit, but you could still get it above someone's shoulder if you wanted to. Ozil used to stab at the ball in a certain way. Do you remember? And he'd come and he'd like stab at it but- from above. And he'd create this unorthodox spin. But what I'm saying is, like, there will be where we've got a responsibility as coaches. There's all these techniques that people talk about, the Cruyff turn and all these things, right? But what I'm getting at is that how can we create environments 
that encourage our players to come up with new things that we've not seen before. So it's not about reinventing the world. There are a lot of constants, to your point, that won't change. The principles of the game don't change. If anything, we'll probably see in history repeat itself in a lot of respect from what we saw back in the 1930s or whatever. But if mm. we can encourage players to come up with different solutions to things, that is but, cool. And that's where I'm encouraging. I, I, I think it's spot on. I think it's spot on. But the only thing I'd add to that is what Ozil's trying to produce there links back into what I was saying earlier about the objective piece. In order for him to generate the type of spin that he's had to he's, he's tried to apply on it, it can only be done by hitting the ball in a certain part of the ball in a certain way. So that for me still links back into technique and around understanding like what is the what is although the outcome in itself is you know try and get that little chip motion if you like, that's that's the outcome. The technique is he wants to do it in this way with a bit of backspin or with a bit of topspin or whatever it is. There's only one place you can hit it to give it the backspin. There's only one place you can hit it to get a topspin. There's only one place you can hit it to get the knuckleball. Do you know what I mean? It has to be that. That's the objective bit of detail, which I don't think enough coaches pay attention to and have an appreciation for. And that, that was more than anything my point. Rather than let's limit creativity or let's limit um, what can and can't happen in terms of what players want to produce, if that makes sense. No, and I agree with that. And I think that those things, what you say, aren't necessarily wrong. Um, but I, well, I'm, maybe I've got a better example. Maybe someone listening has got a better example than Ozo. The point I'm making is that sometimes these players will do things that aren't textbook. And even the way in which he struck the ball isn't necessarily in a textbook. And that's what I'm getting at. Yes, there are certain... I mean, it's probably geometry, isn't it? It's no different to playing pool. If you want to hit the ball in some way, you're going to strike it. I get it. That's exactly you know, my point. But yeah, so I, I do get it. I'm not necessarily contradict myself. I do get it because if you want to hit the ball with an angle, with spin, with curl, you want the ball to roll back. You want there are certain approaches you have to do 100. percent But um, there are players that can defy some logic. Is what I'm getting at, and like not everything has to be textbook technique. Sometimes it can be a little bit different but they might still create the same outcome and they might do things a little bit differently that it's like, wow, that defies logic a little bit. That's what, Maybe there's a better example someone yeah. else in the room has, but no, that's no, no, what I, I'm I, trying I, to I get at. I think you're spotting, and I think the key thing I took away from that is it shouldn't be unopposed. <laughs> Johnny, talk to us, man. You know my bias, I love it. Games. Oh man, I, I'm 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 having to hold the laughter in as you slaughter Gerard there. I have to admit the amount of thumbs down the poor lad got was just unfair, dude. Um, I, I kind of just wanted to touch on the topic. We've meandered. You've used the three of you have meandered really well tonight. I have to admit it's moved and flowed, and as per normal, we move on to great topics. And but I just want to raise the impact on the players that we coach on terms of coaching and facilitating. And it wasn't until Gerard said something about shooting practice that it came to my mind. And it's it's you sit and you watch shooting practices and you just you just hear the fence rattling relentlessly or folk chasing balls. And I think the important difference on the topic is that coaches try and narrow in on the target, whether it's technique as it's said, whether it's the setup, the delivery the fantastic unopposed shooting practice that I'm running at the time. But I, I just kind of want to get you guys' thoughts on 
how that type of coaching or facilitating then impacts the player's own reflection on their performance technique, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm going to stop. Sorry, Johnny, I'm going to stop you straight away and say I, I need more clarity because it doesn't make sense for me. I'm, and It could be my naivety here. No, it's good. It's one of those things. It's it's like, in my head, if you're a coach, you lead a player to reflect on everything they do. If you're a facilitator, you almost remove the coach's thought within the player's head. That's what's running around in my mind. And I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that um, as my train of thought meanders as tonight has. So, yeah, for me, I, think, I, think, I fully agree with that. I think we need to almost not get players to think of it like coaches, but drive them towards that direction, if you like. Because if they're, if they're, if they're looking at it with a coach's eye, if you like, quote-unquote, then they're also going to be very conscious about the techniques and the reasons as to why they're doing it and having their own rationale as to why they're performing a particular technique in a specific amount of you know in time in a game or wherever that might be. So... I, I'm all for that. I definitely think we should be pushing coaches, uh, players to start to reflect in the same way, maybe, or rather push their reflections in the direction of uh, aligning it with coaching observations. It's probably a better way for me to kind of maybe put that. How about yourself, Gerard? No, I agree. I don't got anything to add on it, really. You've got an answer for your question then, Johnny. Thanks, boys. I'd, I'd usually write my nonsense down, but I was kind of just freeballing off my head, which is why I didn't know if it made any sense. But, but again, it's just it's been good tonight. I have to admit, it's been really good. And I think uh, an episode on, like you were talking earlier about, maybe what is technique, what is skill, blah blah blah. I think that that would really work well with what you've have spoken about tonight. Most definitely, most definitely, Jared. I think um, actually, before we do that, anyone got any? Anyone else got anything they want to add or any questions? In fact, no, it's absolutely I've fine. Got, and in, which will probably lead into next week around technique and skill and everything else, and that you know. I think learning is probably a process of is is not necessarily the process of repeating the same solution or the same ideal solution, but perhaps repeating the process of finding an ever changing solution. Because there was this phrase that we used on our recent webinar, which was like repetition without repetition, and I think that'll lead us into a great segue when we're talking about what is technique, what is skill, what is well, effectively what is decision making. What does that look like? And then how do we train environments that develop these qualities? And that would be my lasting piece, which is, you know, do is learning that works on the focus of refining the same thing, i.e. the same solution, or is it learning that that uh, is obviously trying to discover a forever changing solution? That would be my, my parting gift. And I think a great way to maybe look at our next webinar topic as well developing decision makers mate I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one Jared 
Um, but no, guys, that's, Love it. I think that's, that's, that's us done for tonight, man. Um, make sure you're following myself and Gerald. We're here most weeks, pretty much every Sunday on this Twitter space. We just want to, as Tony mentioned last week, continue to grow the community, make sure we get more people in these conversations. It's great to see so many new faces in tonight's conversation as well. So please uh, make sure you're following us, keep an eye on, keep an eye on what we're doing. We're putting out some updates um, on our monthly webinars over the next couple of days just so that you can kind of engage with us in a different way as well. Um, and if you haven't caught the full conversation live here, feel free to check it out on Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast where you can find it on all major platforms. Um, and again, if you've got any questions or any suggestions for future topics, please feel free to get in touch and let us know. Gerard, over to you, man. Love it. Thank you, everyone. Been great discussions. As always. I think this has been a really interactive one and really looking forward to next week. Uh, if you want to find out some more, feel free to follow me on uh, my Twitter handle, jar underscore Jones, or Digital Coach Education Platform, which is Ulearnably, uh, which is also in the space as well. Thanks. I hope you have a great weekend. See you next week. Take care, guys. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.